Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, joined in the studios today with the Tucson organizers of Black Life Matters Conference uh, coming up this weekend, January 15th, 16th, and 17th. With me today are Monica J. Casper, who heads the UA Department of Gender and Women's Studies, along with April Patillo, Doctorate Candidate in American Indian Studies, and Matisse Moore, Program Director for African American Student Affairs. It seems like that this conference is absolutely right on time. How did you get started? Sure, I'm happy to answer that. This is Monica. So I also wear another hat as one of the managing editors of The Feminist Wire with my partners Darnell Moore and Tamara Lomax, who is the co-founder. And we're an online publication at thefeministwire.com. We have about a million readers a year, and we do anti-racist and anti-imperialist feminist critical work. Um, We also publish poetry and uh, fiction and other things as well. And we have a lot of conversations both at The Feminist Wire and behind the scenes among the collective about um, race and about things that are happening around race. And last winter, we had a conversation about Renisha McBride and Jordan Davis. And we wanted to do more than just publish about them, which we had been doing in our pages, both with guest contributors and ourselves. And we decided that we wanted to have an event. Um, And we weren't sure what that would look like. We thought initially it could be an online kind of event at the Feminist Wire. But um, we decided that we'd rather do it as a conference. And uh, I live in Tucson. And Tamara lives in Virginia. And Darnell lives in Brooklyn. And of the three of us, I have more institutional resources. And we also thought people would prefer to come to Tucson in January than to go (laughs) to Virginia or to Brooklyn. So we agreed that we would have the conference here and that we would reach out to the university for support, um, which we did. In the interim, um, when we started planning this, you know, we've had the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and then we've had the killing of Eric Gardner in New York. Um, So there has been a movement that has sprung up um, since we started this conference, and we've now been connecting with those folks, um, and we can talk more about that momentarily. Um, So we now have a conference happening. It's been in the works for a long time that has really gained a lot of uh, steam and energy from the work that's been happening nationally and also in Missouri and other places. So after we agreed to host the conference here at the university, I reached out to some key um, potential sponsors on campus, including Dean J.P. Jones and the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences, and also to Susan Stryker, who's the head of the Institute for LGBT Studies, um, and secured some funding from them immediately, and then began to you know, really shake the trees and pulled together a planning committee of students and faculty and staff um, who would be interested in working on this. Um, and we have a committee of about 13, is that right? About 13 people. Uh, we have worked very hard. Um, over the past several months to produce a website, to secure funding, to bring uh, panelists together to you know figure out who was going to be in the room um, and reach out to the community as much as, as possible. So this is April, and part of what I do up at the university besides be a student um, is also work at the what I call the African American Student Affairs Cultural Center. And in that capacity as the graduate student there, I am privy to a lot of conversations that happen between students, especially in really intense moments. And one of the things that I would overhear and engage in conversation with with students was very strong emotional 
responses to each and every time there was something like an Eric Gardner or a Trayvon Martin. And part of what students were looking for was, as African-American students, as black and brown students in an area that does not always have um, a large gathering or a large number of black and brown academic folks or community folks in one space, they were looking for something to do. They were looking for ways to think about and respond to these things that are happening back at home, to in, in the homes of their friends, in places they may end up working. One of the, the benefits of participating and in this conference planning and having this conversation more broadly than just something that's online is it provides a way for the next generation of activists, the current generation of activists, to to move beyond the emotion, to move beyond the frustration, not forgetting it, but finding ways to use that to be heard as a larger group rather than just some kid in a hoodie on the street. <laughs> or just a group of, of students that people are assuming act one way or another. It's really providing a platform for some planning, some organizing, and conversation in a larger way as a part of a larger movement. So that's, that's part of what we're hoping to continue and encourage and foster by bringing it here and doing it here. So one of the other points about building on the movement that's happening is that none of us want this conference to be a one-off. We don't want it to be just a place where people come, hear some people talk, talk to each other, and then go home and wonder what they're going to do next. So we really have a lot of um, kind of hands-on, interactive, built-in things pro- you know, built into the program so that people can um, bring their activism with them and bring their own issues from whatever part of the country they're coming from and then take away back to their communities the kind of work that we can be doing collectively so that we just see ourselves as part of an ongoing conversation and movement and not certainly not the last word on these issues by any stretch of the imagination, just a kind of opening and a continuing of the conversation. And anybody can attend? Anybody can attend. The conference is free and open to the public. Uh, we do ask that folks register, and they can do that online at blacklifemattersconference.com. We have over 400 registrants already. We have a room capacity of about 600. So if you want to come, you should register soon. Um, we ask for registration so that we can order the right amount of food for people. I also want to add that we're calling it a conference, but it's not just a opportunity to sit in your seat and passively watch a panel talk amongst themselves. We are actively working to have community participate, activists, students that are not in college, um, organizers, academics, people in nonprofits, the business community, and and asking that people come to participate. So it's there's not a financial cost per se if you live locally to come, um, but what you pay forward is your participation. There's two days of keynote speakers and panelists that were also will also be engaging with the participants there around specific questions. And there's a day of workshops where the idea is to to really think about things 
on a multitude of levels. So to think about things locally all the way through to nationally, there is an opportunity for regional organizing that is going on Thursday and Friday afternoon. Um, There's opportunities to figure out how to take your personal form of activism, whatever that may be, whether it's screaming in the streets, holding a sign, if it is supporting other activists to do that, if it is um, providing uh, wellness and self-care to activists so that they can continue to do that. There's Your activism shows up in a multitude of ways, depending on who you are. And there's opportunities on Saturday to network and talk with people from a multitude of different experiences and different types of activism and figure out a way to move forward, how to make some commitments to yourself, to the movement, and to this idea. So it really is, when Monica says it's open, we really do mean open. And we really, really want people to come to participate. This is Matisse. Um, And I think to just add to what my colleagues have already uh, offered about the history of the planning of the conference and who's coming, um, I think another one of the beautiful opportunities of the conference is that it is happening in person and not online. And so there's so much opportunity for connection, for coalition building, for networking. Um, And it is, in a sense, a form of action as a part of the larger movement that um, doesn't necessarily replicate online in terms of the opportunity to actually, you know, meet somebody, have an informal conversation with them in between sessions or um, be inspired by an idea like while it's happening, you know, in a dialogue during a panel session. And so it's critical that anybody can come. And I think that it's it's part of the beauty of the conference and that it's free to the public um, so that anybody could come. I think the only limitation is just the amount of space we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very intentional because everybody needs to be involved in, in the movement for black lives. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager talking about the Black Life Matters Conference coming to Tucson January 15th and 16th in the South Ballroom of the Student Union Memorial Center and also on January 17th at the Dunbar Cultural Center. And uh, with me today are Monica J. Casper, who heads the UA Department of Gender and Women's Studies. We have April Patillo, doctoral candidate in American Indian Studies, and Matisse Moore, program director for African American Student Affairs. Seemingly uh, an unprecedented conference in Tucson right now, just in the structure of the organizing and the expected outcome and the participation. I think that uh, you're exactly right. It is unprecedented, and I think that it's definitely taken shape over the last year. I know that when I initially joined the planning committee, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally about this. You know, Black Life Matters. We're going to do this in Tucson. It's going to happen at the UA. How exciting that the UA is going to center black life in this way. Um, and then at the same time, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and about a month ago, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, and I think that that really just kind of speaks to the very, like, while it is within the institution and, and there are a lot of academic folks coming and it does seem like an academic conference in some ways, it's also very organic um, and uh, is inviting a lot of folks who are not um, necessarily a part of academia on a day-to-day basis to shape and mold the conversation in a way that, you know, we don't really know is going to happen and what it's going to look like at the end. So it's very exciting to, to be a part of that type of process. So one of the things about the process has been that this has been a very organic 
kind of experience, I think, for all of us. When we first began talking about doing a conference in Tucson, we weren't even sure what that would look like. And trying to involve the local people alongside the Feminist Wire people who are dispersed all over the country and beyond um, has been a little bit of a challenge. But we work digitally so well. I mean, we all work quite virtually. All that We publish the Feminist Wire largely virtually, right, through emails and various other things. Um, so that's come together nicely. But the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, there are a number of us in the university who are really committed to trying to have conversations that extend beyond the university. Um, and one of the things I love about being at the Feminist Wire is that we really try to, whether we're academics or writers or community workers of some kind, we really try to write in a way that speaks to a number of audiences. So um, it's not a typical academic journal. Um, you know, people can read it. <laughs> There's not a lot of jargon. We really do try to meet people where they are. And I think, you know, being at a, a public institution that's a land-grant university, that we have a mission to actually do this kind of work. Um, and our department is organized around quite a lot of activism. We have a history of doing work around critical ethnic studies. Um, and a lot of people do anti-racist work, so it seemed a logical place to try to do some of this and to build allies across campus. And I will say, I mean, one of the very nice things for me as an organizer has been that in the face of a lot of really awful things that have happened over the last several months, more than 35 UA units have sponsored this conference. Um, and we've gotten sponsorships from Lehigh University, from community donors. Uh, and that does a really beautiful thing to see, you know, to see this community, um, this academic community kind of open their arms to having a really good conversation about race, which is not easy to talk about. <laughs> you know, we don't anticipate that this is going to be all smooth sailing. I mean, there might be moments of challenge, there might be disagreements, and that's okay. It also seems like Tucson is in a an interesting place to have the conversation because the the number of black and brown people in Tucson, it's no secret, it's um, relatively small African-American population, I think relatively small African immigrant population and refugee population, and a pretty considerable um, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina community. There's also a considerable Native American community within this area. But still, the conversations around race and ethnicity are challenging at best. Um, when you think about some of the legislation that has passed, um, issues going on at USD with African American studies and Mexican American studies, and even with response to response locally to the things that have been going on in Ferguson um, and the different protests that have been going on around the country around Black Lives Mattering, and you know, having that conversation about what it is to be an ally, to be an ally outside of your group, and to offer support that doesn't replace or silence the voice of the community that is actually in the process of demanding action and demanding accountability. So one of the things that I think that has been helpful about this planning is that there has been concerned effort to try and reach out to community. And we're all human. We're not perfect. <laughs> um, but there there has been effort to to have people who look the part play a part in the leadership, have people who look the part, who might be stopped by a police officer, have conversation indirect where it goes to highlight 
that thinking and those voices and those experiences in a different way um, rather than to say, well, we know this is an issue and we're going to organize this platform for you. So you, all you have to do is show up. That's not actually letting Black Lives Matter. I think that's also a conversation that needs to be had. And I, I think it's a conversation that I anticipate will crop up again and again in all of the conversations that we have over that 72-hour period um, between the conversations, the art that's going on, um, some of the organizers for the, the larger movements will be there um, and speaking on different panels and helping with some of the organizing work. So, yeah, there's a lot of conversation, a lot that's going to be going on in that 72-hour period. I think it just actually hit me how much. So ah. so this is Matisse again. And adding on to, to what's already been said about, you know, the how this is kind of unprecedented for Arizona and for Tucson, and I think especially during kind of an unprecedented time in our country, right? Um, and I think really just to kind of, you know, pay honor to and homage to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, and the the phrasing, the the terminology that was um, developed by Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi, and being able to you know potentially provide a space for folks to actually engage in conversation around Black, Black Lives Mattering, um, and, and kind of looking at the development of that because I believe all three of them will be here mm-hmm. um, for the conference, and so it's an amazing opportunity for folks in Tucson who are looking for opportunities to connect. Um, with the founders of Black Lives Matter, the movement or the movement, um, you know, the the concept that's really helped the movement be more inclusive and, you know, to really recognize all of the ways in which, you know, black lives don't matter in our country, but then the ways in which our, often our movement work still marginalizes or excludes various identities within black identity. It's really important to to be able to center that conversation. And that's, again, another thing that, doesn't happen often, if ever, in a public free space in Arizona. Um, But, you know, nationally, to be able to have this intervention at this moment, I think, is really critical. I think that's right. I mean, we have heard some grumblings from various constituencies about um, how much the conference will be emphasizing, for example, LGBT identities versus new sort of mainstream community members. And our response to that has been that the movement has to be inclusive. And a number of the folks on the panels actually talk about that at great length, Um, the three women that Matisse mentioned, but also a number of others who are coming. So Darnell Moore, my partner at the Feminist Wire, has said in a number of venues, and I hope he says it here, that we're all very, very good at identifying whose boots are on our neck. And we're not particularly good at identifying whose neck our boots are on. And he calls out people in his own communities. Um, and I think that, you know, he wel- he challenges us to do that as well. And so the cha- the conversations are challenging to figure out, you know, Black Lives Matter, all Black Lives Matter. How do we make space for that in some challenging times where people deal with their own issues about various things? So we'll see how, how that goes. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, joined in the studio with the Black Life Matters Conference organizers, some of the organizers from here in Tucson. Uh, the conference takes place 
January 15th and 16th at the South Ballroom of the Student Union and on the 17th at the Dunbar Cultural Center and uh, talk about some of the speakers, some of the highlights. I think we've done a good job of um, throughout the conference sort of representing people both locally uh, through to nationally. Some of the keynote speakers that we have are Tamara Lomax, who's a visiting assistant professor at Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University, and she's a co-founder of The Feminist Wire. There's Kenyon Farrow, who's an organizer, communication strategist, and writer on issues at the intersection of HIV-AIDS, prisons, and homophobia. Imani Perry, who's an interdisciplinary scholar, studying race and African-American culture using tools such as law, literary studies, music, and social sciences. Karen Finney, a geographer and the author of Black Faces, White Spaces, Reimagining the Relationship of African-Americans to the Great Outdoors. And Lourdes Ashley Hunter, who is co-founder of the Trans Women of Color Collective. One of the nice things about the program, in my view, is that there's a little something for everyone in the sense that, um, at least on the national media scene, the entree point seems to be anti-black state violence and police violence. But we can't talk about that without talking about a number of of these other issues that face African Americans in the United States, um, all kinds of disparities. So we have an opening panel that's on disparities, where we'll be talking about economic, health, and educational disparities, as well as a few other issues. We have a panel on global blackness, really raising the question of what black means in a global and transnational context. So it looks very different in other countries in some ways, and yet there are also commonalities. We have a panel on black sexuality really thinking through questions of intersectionality, LGBTQ issues, um, the ways that black sexuality is represented and experienced. We have a very timely and important panel on criminalizing black lives in the prison industrial complex. Um, and I think, you know, being in a state that has private prisons, uh, this is a really important conversation to be having in Arizona. Another important panel on violence in black women's lives. And thinking about the ways that that gets often silenced um, in various communities. We have a panel on immigration, which feels also very important to have in Arizona. And the folks on that panel include um, some members from the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, um, you know, to really think about what these issues mean if we think beyond just one community um, and how they affect the entire community. Kind of to round things out, we also have art and performance um, because... Uh, I think with a lot of these heavy, you know, intellectual kind of conversations we have, we also need an opportunity for inspiration, for movement, um, and the ways in which art provides that. And so it's also exciting to feature a number of local artists. Um, Teray Fowler-Chapman, who is an amazing poet in town, will be with us. Um, Anton Smith, who also a fantastic dancer, um, performer, singer. He does a number of things. Uh, we'll have a, a, a hot spotlight, I think, on our Thursday night performance re- reception. Um, Isha Sloan and Ian Elisante are two poets, um, both with deep Tucson roots, who will be performing at different points in the conference and speaking um, during different sessions of the conference. Barbia Williams, who, you know, we've oftentimes referred to as kind of a dance institution in Tucson um, with the Barbia Williams Performance Company, will be one of our closing uh, performance pieces. And Connie Muhammad, 
who formerly known as Nutmeg, will also be one of our uh, spotlight performers during the conference. And so we're really excited to be, off- to be offering that piece as well. I'm really impressed by the breadth and the depth of the conference and, and the intentionality, uh, the inclusivity. Youth will be involved in this conference. We've heard from some folks at TUSD who will be bringing a group of students. We have a number of our own students on campus who hopefully will come, even though it is right around the first day of classes. Um, so we've really worked hard to try to coordinate with faculty on campus to integrate the conference into their teaching. Um, and two of our librarians on campus, Niam Wallace and Nicole Pagowski, did an amazing job putting together at the library's website um, a set of resources about Ferguson that now also includes a page for the conference, including collated readings from many of the people who will be at the conference. So for educators, there are a lot of nice resources available to be able to do that work with the youth. And I think all of us really do feel, particularly because we do work with students, that um, you know the movement's future is the youth of you know various ages, and that if we can get them in the room, that that's where we'll really start to see some action for the future. I think it's been really clear that uh, at this time that youth is the movement, too, not just bringing them to the movement, but that they're already uh, leading the movement and perhaps uh, inviting others to step aside a little bit. I think that's right. And, you know, earlier when we were discussing you know, inclusion and certain kinds of challenges. One of the challenges that we've seen, and we see this at the Feminist Wire, it's both a, it's both a promise and a challenge, but we see intergenerational issues that come up frequently between people who've been in movements for a very long time and, you know, get a little bit calcified sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the youth come and they bring different kinds of energy. And yeah, there are tensions sometimes about that, about, you know, what are the techniques? What are the issues? How do we address them? I think every social movement faces that. Um, but we're very excited to have the youth involved. Um, and I think Earlier, we were discussing the format of the Saturday workshops. We have organized the workshops into the themes that are covered at the conference, but we've also left some openings, right, for yeah. people to come and do their own thing. There'll, there will be two additional, in addition to the, the six different panel topics, workshops that are open. They can be self-organizing, and it's really, again, an opportunity for a group to identify itself as we would like to work on this particular area or this particular issue. And this is how we'd like to do that and start that networking, start that coalition building to to make that more than an idea that happens in this 72 hours. And it's, you know, it's a unique opportunity because we do have youth. We have Tucson um, business community members that will be there as well. We have academics. We have um, folks from nonprofits like the Tucson Urban League. We have all kinds of people there, and everybody brings something special to the table. Everybody brings something special to the movement. And this is an opportunity to kind of do a, a self-assessment to see what are we all bringing and what can we make with what we're bringing. So this is Matisse again, and I think, you know, as we begin to wrap up, um, just kind of re-emphasizing that we want folks to be involved in the conversation and in the dialogue and to help us shape it. Um, I think especially as we're talking about intergenerational issues, you know, we know that oftentimes um, strong movements are are very decentralized, you know, and, and so for that to happen, we need various voices in the room and various voices to access the space. Um, and one ways we're trying to provide that beyond like the physical space is there will be live streaming of the conference on Thursday and Friday. Um, and so folks can tune in um, with an internet connection wherever they're at to, to what's happening at the conference and the conversations happening there and follow it that way. 
So for folks who are still interested in attending the conference, it's not too late to register. Registration needs to happen soon because we are, you know, nearing capacity for the conference. And folks can do it online through blacklifemattersconference.com. And just to kind of clarify, too, it's Black Life Matters, so life, not lives. Oftentimes people think that they're, they're one and the same, but it's, you know, it's blacklifemattersconference.com. <laughs> and you can also find us on Facebook at Black Life Matters, uh, the Facebook page. And again, Black Life Matters with an F. And the live streaming will be on the website um, and probably the Facebook page will link to it as well. Thank you so much for coming in today and talking about this uh, great upcoming opportunity for people here in Tucson to be able to uh, check in and uh, meet with others, uh, people who are coming to the Black Life Matters Conference, uh, free and open to the public. It's going to be held January 15th and 16th at the South Ballroom of the Student Union at U of A and at the Dunbar Cultural Center on January 17th. Again, thanks so much to all of my guests, Monica J. Casper, who heads the UA Department of Gender and Women's Studies, April Patillo, doctoral candidate in American Indian Studies, and Matisse Moore, program director for African American Student Affairs. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.